Welcome to the Motor Racing Passion Podcast. On the pod today, it's just myself, Adam, and today I'm going to be chatting about something different to our previous episodes. Today, it is all about two wheels. I've always had an interest in motocross and the free riding scene growing up. Whether I was watching the original Krusty Demons videos or the Supercross Masters in my younger days, to my later years keeping tabs on the American motocross or Supercross scene, the Australian motocross and Supercross scene, or freestyle motocross and freeride through X Games, Nitro Circus, or freeride at YouTube and socials. What amazes me the most about two wheels, especially on dirt, is the talent these riders have. What they do on and off the bike, right from grassroots of people riding on weekends, right up to the elite levels in racing. For a small time, I was able to swing my own leg over a motocross bike and enjoy riding. That just increased my appreciation of the talent these riders have. Two big events on two wheels wrapped up here in the middle of October in Australia, and I thought it would be a good idea to chat about these events. First, we had the inaugural World Supercross Championship, dubbed the Australian GP at Marvel Stadium in Melbourne on the 21st and 22nd of October. And then we had the Nitro World Games, which were held at Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane, Australia. This was slightly delayed by the rain currently around the east coast of Australia, but it was big, there was a big enough break to complete the event on their contingency date on Monday, October the 24th. Firstly, let's dive into the World Supercross Championship. They wrapped up the dub pilot season at the Australian GP in Melbourne. The pilot season consisted in the end of two rounds. The first round was held in Cardiff, Wales, and the second, as mentioned, in Melbourne, Australia. There was initial hope of having a final round in the United States, but that did not materialise in the end. I must admit from the get-go, when it was announced, I liked the concept they put together for the World Supercross Championship. Ten teams with two riders in each of the SX1 450cc and the SX2 250cc class. Then they also have the opportunity to invite wildcards that can be included at each of the individual rounds with the view to promote local talent from the country or any other big names that are available and want to come run in the series. During the pilot seasons, they had some big names in the sport globally signed by the teams and also a big draw card for Cardiff as it was Eli Tomac, who is the reigning and current 2022 AMA Supercross and AMA Motocross champion. Before diving into looking at how the pilot season ran out for two rounds, for listeners who may may not have heard about the World Supercross Championship, I'll give you a little bit of background information. World Supercross Championship is an FIM World Supercross Championship run by the Australian company SX Global, headed up by Adam Bailey and Ryan Sanderson, who have aligned themselves with Tony Cochran. Many listeners may know Tony Cochran as he was at the helm of the V8 Supercars revamp from 1997 to what it is today. For roughly the last 20 years, the FIM World Supercross Championship was run alongside the AMA Supercross Championship in the United States. This was promoted by Feld Entertainment, who relinquished the rights during 2021. With Feld Entertainment relinquishing the rights, this opened up for a new tendering process by the FIM to seek out new promoters for the FIM World Supercross Championship. This is where SX Global put in a, a, a proposal for this tender and they were selected as the winners of the tender for the FIM World Supercross Championship. 
Both Adam Bailey and Ryan Sanderson have been prominent in motorsports here in Australia. Adam and Ryan ran the, excess, the successful Oz SX Opens here in Australia since 2015, building it up to quite the racing spectacle, originating at what is now known as Kudos Bank Arena at Sydney Olympic Park Precinct to Marvel Stadium in Melbourne, where they, and while they also ran one event in 2019 in New Zealand. Having attended the OzSX Open at Sydney Olympic Park, it was quite the spectacle. There was a good mix of racing and entertainment prior to the racing and throughout the event. With the entertainment and racing provided, it gave plenty for the race fan to enjoy, but also during the casual spectator. Moving to Marvel Stadium in 2019 allowed for a larger track and an ability to expand on what they instilled with providing entertainment along while the racing is happening. After the announcement, further details came about SX Global about the new 2022 World Supercross Championship. There were grumblings from the industry in the United States about the series trying to overtake the AMA Supercross and possibly some of the big-name riders from the series, as well as the AMA Motocross. This would probably be an episode in itself regarding the previous nine months prior to Round 1 in Cardiff. Plenty of other podcasts that covered that covered this, so I won't go into the ins and outs of it here. But it's quite compelling, and I, if this sort of thing does interest you, I do recommend sourcing them out. In my opinion, the way the World Supercross Championship has been created and the vision of it will only enhance Supercross and Motocross around the world. There is still the prestige about the AMA Supercross and Motocross Championships, and many riders still want to achieve the accolade of winning these championships. And this is shown by many internationals trying to get to America, to the pinnacle here, and to secure those championships. And many have succeeded. Raising the awareness and fan base for the Supercross through World Supercross can only be a good thing with the industry, bringing a wider audience into the fan base. With this wider audience, more networks and more outside sponsors will come in, raising the awareness and the prestige and the investment into the sport, which can then trickle down to grassroots where a lot of these stars are brought in from a young age. Personally, I can't wait to see where the World Supercross ends up in the next five years. Touching on my point before regarding the grumblings from the industry in the US about the World Supercross series, there was a good interview with Adam Bailey and Ryan Sanderson with the Gypsy Tales podcast with Jace McAlpine and then a secondary episode only with Adam, Adam Bailey prior to Round 1 in Cardiff, also on the Gypsy Tales podcast. Here they were talking about the series the dire- and the direction it will be taking and some of the background stories to, to what I'm talking about today. They also touch on slightly about where the series series is heading and their positioning in alongside the AMA Supercross and Motocross Championships. I, I definitely would recommend seeking these two episodes out after this if you're keen on finding out more information. So back onto the World Supercross Championship. Directly from their website, it says, World Supercross is Supercross Supercharged. Breaking down geographic boundaries, World Supercross will connect millions of fans across the world to this live-action motorsport in the first truly global Supercross championship. Their view is to have the schedule in 2023 of 12 rounds starting mid-2023 and hopefully finishing up, I think, roughly around the October area. As mentioned before, there are 10 teams who were awarded their spot through a tender process that happened earlier this year. These teams all have licenses and will field four riders, two in each of the respective classes. 
This structure is like what was introduced in the Australian V8 Supercar Series many years ago, likely due to the learning through Tony Crocken with how it transformed into the V8 Supercars category. All the 10 teams are independently owned, allowing for the teams to source their own factory support programs or completely go on their own and develop their own bikes. Being a licensed team, this includes seed funding, an appearance fee for the team at every event, and logistics support for when the championship travels the world. This then allows the teams to negotiate their own contracts and bonus structures with all of their riders, which gives varying amounts to see how they, they their remuneration goes through. So out of the 10 teams, who are they and where are they from? So we've got MDK Motorsport, who are from the USA. Also have Motor Concepts Racing from the United States, Honda Genuine Honda Racing from Australia, the CDR Yamaha team from Australia, also known as Craig Dack Racing. We've got the Club MX FXR team who are from the United States. We've got the Pipes Motorsport Group who are also from the United States. We've got Bud Racing Kawasaki from France, GSM Yamaha from France, Rickware Racing from the United States. Many people might be aware of Rickware Racing as they both have teams in the NASCAR Cup Series, IndyCar, and also the NHRA Series. And finally, we've got the Honda NILS team hailing from Italy, and they are led by Livia Lancelot, who is a two-time Women's World Motocross Champion. It has been quoted that more than 50 million US dollars has been designated for team and athlete support for the next five years. And SX Global has also stated that for each event, 250,000 US dollars are on offer at each round, which is broken up per class. After the teams were announced, the rider lineup slowly trickled out with some of the world's best riders landing on their spots on teams prior to round one. So let's take a look at the announced lineups for the World Supercross class and the SX2 class. So for the World Supercross class or the 450cc class, let's run through the teams here. So on the Bud Racing Kawasaki, they signed up the French pair of Cedric Sorbets and Adrian Escoffier. On the Club MX FXR team, they have... Grant Harlan and Cade Clarson from the United States. CDR Yamaha signed Josh Hill from the USA and Luke Cloud from Australia. The Honda Genuine Honda Racing Team signed Ken Roxon from Germany and Dean Wilson from the United Kingdom, circling around for a full international contingent on that team. The Honda NILS Team signed Jordi Tixier from France and Angelo, Angelo Pellegrini from Italy. MDK Motorsports announced that they signed Chad Reed from Australia, making his Supercross return, and also Josh Grant from the United States of America also making his return. Motor Concept Racing signed the US duo of Justin Brayton and Vince Freezy. The Pipes Motorsport Group team signed Brendan Hartranft, but prior to the series he injured his thumb and was unable to race, so Pipes Motorsport Group signed Justin Starling from the USA as his replacement to go aside the Sweden's Frederick Norton. GSM Yamaha signed the French pair of Anthony Bourdon and Thomas Ramet. And finally, Rickware Racing signed USA's Ryan Brees and Joey Savacci for rounding out the World Supercross class. 
For the SX2 class, we've got on the Bud Racing Kawasaki have Australia's Matt Moss and USA's Chris Blose. The Club MX FXR team signed USA's Phil Nicoletti and Jace Owen. CDR Yamaha signed USA's Kyle Chisholm to team up with Australia's Aaron Tanti. The Honda Genuine Honda Racing Team signed Englishman Max Anstey to team up alongside Australian Wilson Todd. The Honda NILS Team signed Italians Lorenzo Camparisi and Frenchman Thomas Dorr. MDK Motorsport signed USA's Derek Drake alongside Justin Bogle. Motor Concept Racing signed the US duo of Mitchell Oldenburg and Cole Seeley. Pipes Motorsport Group also signed USA's Dylan Schwartz and Marshall Wetland. GSM Yamaha signed Frenchman Maxine Dupre and USA Carsons Brown. And finally, Rickware Racing signed USA's Shane McElrath and Henry Miller, rounding out the SX2 class. So we can see from both classes there, there's a great mixture of talents from all parts of the globe and different positions of their career. Some have established themselves in their respective classes. We've got some nice young guys coming through trying to stamp their own name on the big scene. The final piece of the puzzle to be announced was the broadcast team. On screen was headed up by the familiar voices of Supercross from the USA, of Ralph Shaheen and Jeff Emig. Also announced was Kristen B joining the broadcast as the trackside reporter. Moving on to the race formats for the series, it was announced by SX Global they were introducing an innovative racing format for both classes, moving away from the traditional Supercross format of a heat race and then a longer main feature race. The rounds would still feature the traditional practice, time qualifying and heat races, but for the mains, these would be split up into three parts, with the highest point score across these three finals being the overall winner. The three back-to-back-to-back main events with less than five minutes between gate drops increases the overall intensity and unpredictability at every championship race. Putting emphasis on effective starts and gaining the whole shot is critical to each race. This is a a similar format that has been used at the previous OzSX Opens with great results leading to some great finishes which have uh, transpired over the years. An added feature for the WSXX class is the addition of Superpole. Superpole, we've seen the name used in the World Superbikes, but also commonly known in Australia as a top 10 shootout, which we see at Bathurst. So basically, it's the top 10 riders from the heat race. They've got one lap to pull the fastest time to set the order for choosing gates for the first final race. Adam Bailey, in a press release from the World Supercross Championship, said... That by having more races, it ensures fans will enjoy significantly more action from their favourite riders over the course of an event. While shorter race formats increase the overall level of drama and excitement through tighter action, action-packed battles and minimal downtime over the course of the evening. Announced along with the innovative formats was that it would be in between races, there would be FMX exhibitions and live music from some of the biggest acts around the globe or bringing together an entertainment package for the event. In my opinion, the format works. Short, sharp races, everyone is close together, and it gives the riders multiple chances to redeem themselves if they make an error that would traditionally cost them big time in in, uh, the traditional race format. 
One of the most intense parts of a Supercross or Motocross race is the starts. In this case for the World Supercross Championship, 20 bikes line up on the flat start gate, waiting for the gate to drop to launch themselves towards turn one, bar banging and jostling for position. The noise with all the bikes hitting the rev limiter before the gate drop, it's quite the sight to see and to hear in person. This also sets itself apart from the AMA Supercross series to bring something different to the table. I think it showed in the first two rounds how action-packed the format can be, and in the end, it probably assisted in Ken Roxon winning the WSXX title. More on that in a little bit. So that, that's a little bit of background information on the World Supercross Championship about the underpinnings for the series. If you want to see more information from them, you can head to their website and, and they've got some more information there. So moving on, let's review the inaugural season for the World Supercross Championship. Round one of the 2022 pilot season was held in Cardiff, Wales at the Principality Stadium for the British GP, which was run on October 8th, 2022. Eli Tomac from the USA was the wildcard for this event, who took a clean sweep of the three finals for the British GP. However, he didn't have it all his way on the night, with Eli only being the third quickest after qualifying. The fastest rider was Rick Ware Racing's Joey Savacci, and Ken Roxon was second quickest after qualifying. Ken Roxon and Justin Brayton won their respective heat races, with wildcard Eli Tomac finishing third in his heat behind Ken Roxon and Vince Freezy. Superpole was run and done for the World Supercross class, with Ken Roxon putting down the fastest time, who pulled out the quad jump that only a few of the riders were completing. Moving on to the finals in the World Supercross class, Ken Roxon was leading the first race in the final until he was caught out by the changing track conditions and went down. This handed Eli Tomac the lead, and he went on to win the first final from Vince Freezy and Ken Roxon in third. In final two, it was a little more difficult for Eli Tomac and Ken Roxon, who didn't get the greatest of starts and had to fight their way to the front of the pack in the eight-lap encounter. Roxon certainly did look fast in the heat, but he never turned this speed into the track position to challenge Tomac. Vince Frizzi, who led early, came home in third place. In final three, it was once again topped by Eli Tomac, who got out front and cruised to take the win. Joey Savacci was battling with Justin Brayton and was able to find a way past and take second place in the third race with Justin Brayton coming home in third. Ken Roxon finished final three in fourth, fourth place in this race after finishing the first final in third place. The overall for the British GP was Eli Tomac in first place, Ken Roxon in second place and Vince Freezy in third. Notably absent from the finals were MDK motorsport duo of Chad Reed and Josh Grant, who both had crashes in the same section of the track from, due to mechanical failures. It has been noted post-round that Chad's Reed incident was due to a faulty fuel pump on his bike, and Josh Grant had a chain brake causing the crash. Moving over to the SX2 class, Rick Ware Racing Shane McElrath won the British GP using consistency to game him gain him top spot. The heat races were won by Max Anstey on his Honda Genuine Honda Racing bike and Justin Bogle from MDK Motorsport. The first final was won by Mitchell Oldenburg on his Moto Concept Racing Honda, finishing ahead of Chris Blose and Matt Moss, both on Bud Racing Kawasaki's. 
McElrath came home fourth in the first final. In final two, it was a different set of podium finishes as Max Anstey secured the whole shot and went on to take the win in final two from Maxim Dupre on the GSM Yamaha and Shane McElrath finished third. Mitchell Oldenburg, who took the honours in the first final, went down in the first turn and was only able to recover into 19th position. In final three for the weekend, Mitchell Oldenburg came back from a tough final two and won. Oldenburg led home Cole Seeley and Australia's Aaron Tanty. The overall podium results for SX2 and Cardiff was Shane McElrath in first, Chris Blose in second and Mitchell Oldenburg in third. It was very, very close to the top here with only two points separating first from third. So the World Supercross Championship completed their first event. And watching from here in Australia on 7 Plus streaming, it was a great event. It provided racing with many top stars. While the track, not as technical as some of the tracks in AMA Supercross, I think is a good thing. It can provide good close racing without separating the field too too much. Having a couple of obstacles that can set the field apart, but allowing others where riders can get the rhythm and flow and can gain up any time there, I think is a good thing. One of the cool features that differed itself from any other broadcast I saw was the live onboard cameras from the bike, giving a different perspective for racing, which allows you to give a good appreciation for what the riders tackle on these tracks. There was probably some improvement to the placement of the cameras that can only enhance the broadcast. Some of the cameras, especially at the rear of the bike, with the vibration, did make it hard to follow at times. But they've got to try these things out, and I'm sure as it goes on, they'll get better and better at either the mountings or placing them on the bike to give a different perspective. We'll be right back after this short break. We'll talk all about round two, and then we'll talk about the Nitro World Games. Breakthrough Health and Wellness. The Breakthrough 60-Day Challenge combines a highly effective weight loss program and a high-end personal fitness experience without costly memberships. In a culture of flash workouts and going hard, Breakthrough have taken a more sustainable approach and developed the perfect program that will not only get you fit and healthy, but also help you shed stubborn weight that you thought was never going to budge. Breakthrough will offer new inspiration and goals that will lead to life changes you can easily maintain. Each week, Breakthrough offer interesting muscular endurance, strengthening and functional movement exercises with a training app that will rival any workout you have done at the gym. For more information, visit mybreakthrough.com.au. That's M-Y-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-U. And follow Breakthrough on Facebook and Instagram. Welcome back to the Motor Racing Passion Podcast. We just finished talking about the British GP run at Cardiff, so let's move on to round two that was held here at Marvel Stadium in Melbourne, Australia. So round two was two weeks later than Cardiff, and as said before, it was held at Marvel Stadium in Melbourne, which was held on the 21st and 22nd of October. This was called the Australian GP. 
One of the great features, especially the Australian GP, was the Friday night was going to be the first round of the Australian Supercross Championship with the World Supercross Championship practice occurring in the night program. And then on the Saturday night was the dedicated to the World Supercross Championship. I thought this is a great concept, putting the local series on the same program as World Supercross, given exposure of local talent to not only the 10 teams in the series, but also putting the local series on the same level caliber of track for all aspects, from the entertainment in front of casual fans, dedicated fans, industry sponsors, right across the board. I think it was a great initiative. As I know, here in Australia, there's been a big push to elevate the entire Supercross Championship here in Australia. So hopefully this is one big step forward. And then hopefully in 2023, this can be carried over to many of the other rounds around the world if there's a local Supercross series occurring at the same time. One of the other great aspects of having the Australian Supercross series and World Supercross series running on the same weekend is that there's some riders who are riding in both series at the moment. So some riders were given extra track time. It was going to be interesting to see if that was going to benefit them uh, benefit them over the two nights. There, now, notably, you had the CDR Yamaha riders of Aaron Tanty and Luke Clout, Dean Wilson on the Honda Genuine Honda Racing bike, and also Justin Brayton on the Motor Concepts Honda team. Now, there was also some rider, other riders in there. We've got Matt Moss and a few others. And like Matt Moss in the Australian Supercross Championship, he was riding a 450 bike, while in the World Supercross, he was drafted in for the 250 SX2 class. So it was really interesting to see how that was going to benefit them, changing bikes. Were some of them going to sit out practice sessions so they could focus on the Australian Supercross series? and then just have used the practice sessions on the Saturday dedicated for World Supercross to change over to the bikes and see how it was going. So I think that's a real good thing. None of the World Supercross teams put an embargo on the riders that they couldn't race in the series. I think that's a great initiative to have. They let them run the Australian Supercross Championship for it. It was, yeah, really good to see, and hopefully that continues on um, if there's any other rounds around the world. But prior to the to the start of the second round, Adam Bailey from SX Global sat down at a press conference and spoke about round one in Cardiff. SX Global had a debrief occurring post-round, and they netted approximately 80 improvements they felt could be improved on round one for the World Supercross Championship. And they also noted there was only a few items that they thought they hit on the mark. That is an extremely tough critique on themselves, but I believe if you hold a standard to what you want to produce, you need to be able to critically analyse your performance and not go easy on yourself and hold yourself accountable, which I think they've had. One of the big changes that he spoke about in the press conference was the scheduling of the finals. Differing from Cardiff, the SX2 class would take after the life from Australia's Bliss and Esso, while also extending the time between the final races to give the riders some more time to better prepare in between the gate drops. It was also announced that Brett Metcalf was going to be the wild card for the World Supercross class at Melbourne, but he suffered a broken collarbone in his heat race in round one of the Australian Supercross Championship, which sidelined him. Post the Australian round, on the Friday night, it was announced that Hayden Melross from Gas Gas Australia team would step in to fill Brett Metcalf's spot. 
The other wild cards announced for the World Supercross class were Aussie Kyle Webster, and in the SX2 class, it was the Aussie duo of Reese Budd and Nathan Crawford. There was also a few rider changes coming into round two. There were two new riders for the MDK Motorsport in the World Supercross class, with Josh Grant and Chad Reed both out with injuries sustained at round one. Jackson Richardson, who was riding for the Empire Kawasaki team in the Australian Supercross Championship, was drafted in on his Kawasaki. Alex Ray was brought into the Pipes Motorsport Group team to ride alongside Frederick Noren, who was replacing Justin Starling from round one. While in the SX2 class, MDK Motorsport also had its issues. Derek Drake was sidelined from a practice crash sustained in the Friday practice caused by a flat tyre that meant he would have to sit out round two. After all the practice sessions were, were finished, it was Joey Savacci from Rickware Racing and Mitchell Oldenburg from Motor Concepts Racing leading the way in the World Supercross and SX2 class. On to Saturday night. In qualifying, Joey Savacci carried his pace over, taking the fastest time in the WSX class, holding a lap time one second quicker than Ken Roxon in second place. A big moment happened in the final stages of qualifying, with Dean Wilson crashing heavily in one of the rhythm lanes, with him almost landing on top of his Honda Genuine Honda Racing machine. A big moment happened in the final stages of qualifying with Dean Wilson crashing heavily in one of the rhythm lanes, with him almost landing on top of his Honda Genuine Honda racing machine. This almost resembled a crash from earlier in the year in the AMA Supercross. The first Aussie in qualifying was wildcard Kyle Webster, who finished in position 10. CDR Yamaha rider Luke Clout was ruled out of competition after sustaining a cracked thumb in the first round of the Australian Supercross Championship, and he was going to sit out the night. In the SX2 class, it was MDK Motorsports, Justin Bogle being at the top of the timesheets. Moving on to the finals in the SX2 class, Rickware Racing Shane McElrath won the inaugural SX2 class for 2022 after taking the round win at Melbourne. Shane McElrath finished the night with the overall of 2-2-1 netting, netting the overall for himself. In the first final, Max Anstey from Honda General Honda Racing took a strong win. McElrath was in second and Jace Owen from the Club MX FXR team was in third. McElrath was holding the championship leader's red plate, while his nearest contender was Chris Blows on the Bud Race in Kawasaki, finishing in fourth. Justin Bogle, who qualified quickest, took a tumble in the first final when washing out the front wheel at a 90-degree turn, which subsequently took down CDR Yamaha's Aaron Tanti in the process, both of them finishing 11th and 12th respectively. Other incidents in the first final was contact between Cole Chisholm and Cole Seeley, who both needed to go to the mechanics area to have their bikes fixed after the incident. While Mitchell Oldenburg went off track after the triple on lap one, recovering to finish seventh. In final two, Aussie Aaron Tanti took the win, pushed the whole way by Shane McElrath in second position, with Max Anstey finishing third after having a good battle with Mitchell Oldenburg. In another first-turn incident, it took down Cole, Cole Seeley, Cole Chisholm, and Wilson Todd. Justin Bogle also went down in the first turn, but he didn't re- rejoin. While Jace Owen, who finished third and final one, retired from the second final with a mechanical issue. 
In final three, Shane McArath went on won the final to secure his first win of the championship and netting himself the SX2 title. Max Anstey pressured McArath all the way in final three, but wasn't able to get past after a final lap push. Aussie Aaron Tanti rounded out the podium in final three. The podium for the SX2 class for round two at Marvel Stadium was Shane McArath in first place, Max Anstey in second place, and Aaron Tanti finishing in third. As said before, Shane McArath riding for Rick Ware Racing is your inaugural SX2 champion from Max Anstey in second and Chris Blows in third. Moving on to the World Supercross class, what a nail-biter this was, right down to the final heat race, with Ken Roxon overcoming a DNF in final two to clinch the inaugural World Supercross championship. In final one, Ken Roxon was beaten to the hole shot by Rick Ware Racing's Joey Savachi, who skipped out to an early lead on the only lap, only to be passed by Ken Roxon heading into the turn before the warps. Ken Roxon was never bested from here, taking nearly a five-second win from Joey Savachi and Moto, Moto Concept Racing's Justin Brayton. Into final two, this is where the drama for the title race began. Ken Roxon got out to an early lead and was in a prime position to take the win until after he hit a ski jump coming across the start-finish straight, he seemed to land and look at his bike, then very quickly pulling off the track and heading to the mechanics area with what was to, to be later confirmed a flat tyre. This was blowing the title race wide open. This allowed Joey Savachi to pounce and took the win from Motor Concept Racing teammates of Justin Brayton and Vince Freezy finishing second and third. So when the gate dropped in final three, it was all on the line for Ken Roxon, Justin Brayton and Vince Freezy. All had a genuine shot at taking the World Supercross title, with only four points separating the trio heading into this third final. And sitting on the outside, it looked like Joey Savacci, if results went his way, had a chance at winning as well. As all the riders were jostling going into Turn 1, there was a pile-up on the exit of Turn 1. And amazingly, both Justin Brayton and Vince Freezy were both down, ending their hopes of clinching the inaugural title. Joey Savacci was able to get out to the lead with Ken Roxing managing the situation to ensure he brought the bike home, which he was able to do, finishing within one and a half seconds behind Joey Savacci and CDR Yamaha rider Josh Hill. Brayton and Freezy remounted and finished eighth and fifth, respectively, in final three. For the Australian GP, Joey Savacci finished on top with Roxon in second and Brayton managing to secure third. Top Australian on the night was Hayden Melros, finishing in 11th overall. Post-race, Justin Brayton vented his frustration about the first turn incident with his teammate, Vince Freezy. He was quoted saying, where do I even begin? Obviously, Kenny had a flat tie in the second one, and I went 3-2 and beat Vince in both of them. So going into the last final, I really just needed to beat Vince. He, he just decided, like he decides a lot of the time, to launch his bike at me in the first turn and clean us both out and jeopardise both of us for the title. Brayton continued on talking about what transpired with it being noted through different press releases and no, notions on the night that the discussions between the pair became very heated post-race which understandably what transpired and all following the, A the AMA Supercross season have seen 
with Vince Freeze's riding. In the World Supercross class, Ken Roxon claimed the inaugural title from Joey Savacci in second place and Vince Freeze finishing in third place. Justin Brayton coming home in fourth. Motor Concepts Racing took out the team's championship and Honda took out the manufacturer's title for the inaugural season. What can we say? What a conclusion to the World Supercross class for its very first season. It can be said that the race formats helped Ken Roxon secure his title, not only allowing him to bounce back with Final 3 to overcome his title rivals, but also in Final 3, the first turn incident with teammates of Brayton and Freezy. In the traditional format, if that happened, would have the points buffer been enough for Kenny to DNF, or would have he tried to continue on to salvage some points? Did the extra pressure of getting the final start cause Freezy to push on and try an aggressive move, knowing that it was down to them for the title, being teammates Brayton and himself? Personally, I I think this is a testament to what the three final races were introduced for, combining the elements of race starts and supercars and the short, sharp races to produce these type of scenarios. Another element to discuss, especially about the Australian GP, is the track conditions. I thought the track played up well. The the whoops were tricky by the end of the night. Ruts were forming, causing riders to change their approach from final to final, track breaking down as the more laps that were put into it. I think it was a great thing, and hopefully the the track's changing continues on to all the different tracks. I believe I heard on the broadcast that this was the same dirt that they used from the 2019 Oz SX Open event at Marvel Stadium. From memory back in 2019, I think the track ended up being a little bit more hard pack compared to the dirt, which seemed to be soft today, and in some corners, making it all the way down to the boards covering the turf. I thought it looked quite good on, on the TV, on the broadcast, and some of the trackside reporting from uh, Kristen Beat um, showed how these were forming up. One thing I must say is the dirt resembled a colour that mirrored one of the best mud cakes you can buy in the world, which is a Woolworths caramel mud cake. I don't know why it stuck with me like that, but the colours etched in my brain for it. One of the other elements I believe was really nice was the onboard cameras. I think they're a nice feature. As, as said enough for round one in Cardiff, there's more refinement that, that needs to be taken, uh, especially out of the rear of the bike with vibrations, but maybe also trying a few more locations on the front of the bike. Inside the radiator shroud was good. Maybe they could look at doing a custom front number plate and place the camera up a bit higher or another location in the front of the bike to show more of what the drivers do from their perspective. From here, looking into 2023, I I think the series is going to continue to grow and evolve and it's going to be in a great place. I think once they hit their full schedule of approximately 12 rounds, they'll have a lot of momentum behind them and going around the globe, they're going to get fantastic crowds coming in. I think the good thing about having 20 riders locked in for the season, you'll get to know the riders more and hopefully with the announced World Supercross tv streaming package there'll be a lot of content on there to learn more about the riders with their helmets off which then can be transitioned into the broadcast to help the fans around the world the casual viewer get to know these riders and their personalities 
I think it was a smart move by SX Global to get two rounds out of the way this year as a pilot series to try and iron out any kinks that is involved in the product, which you can clearly see from Cardiff to Melbourne where they, they had 80 improvements. That can be only a good thing. I think they'll review definitely review Melbourne and they'll even have more improvements to put into the next season. Moving into next year, as I said, I think they're going to have some great momentum. It'll be interesting to see if there's any movement in the rider rosters for the teams. Will some riders move to another team? Will there be some new up-and-coming talent coming onto the scene, putting some veterans on notice? It should allow for an interesting dynamic. Also, a lot of these riders are going to be competing in other series around the world, so there's potential for injuries coming into play to see who is going to sign up for next year. So I guess it's watch watch the space, follow the socials, follow the teams and see what lands from there. One of the ideas that post post this, it might even lead to an, an exhibition race at some of the events uh, for some of the veterans in the sport who are still a draw card to the fans, but then may not be at, uh, at the front of the field in their respective classes. I personally think a throwback 252 stroke exhibition race would be something quite a spectrum would be cool to see. Throwing it back to the heyday in the early 2000s where the 252 strokes were racing Supercross. Could it be something down the road? Is it even something they need? Are they going to push forward with the product themselves and, and use the entertainment of freestyle motocross and the music acts to push through? Let us know in the comments on our Facebook page if you think a 252 two-stroke exhibition race would be something that would be adding to the, the spectacle of the World Supercross. The other big event happening on the same weekend was the Nitro Wall Games at Suncourt Stadium in Brisbane. The initial event was to take place on the weekend, but due to the inclement weather that the East Coast of Australia has been faced with, the event was rained out and put back to its contingency date on the following Monday afternoon and into the evening. The Nitro World Games has had returned after their hiatus due to the pandemic over the past two years, and they came back with their usual discipline, disciplines accustomed to their shows and action sports, skateboarding, BMX, scooters, and freestyle motocross. We're mainly going to focus on the freestyle motocross for the night. There were some amazing trick combinations pulled out from other disciplines with R. Willie from Australia taking first place in BMX best trick with a front flip bike flip combo and also placing second place in scooter best trick. Australian Olympic gold medalist Logan Martin also scored a second place in the BMX triple hit, netting himself the innovation trophy for his switch quad whip. The setup for the Nitro World Games is something very similar to what they produce at the stadium shows, with all metal ramps to metal landings with either a resi mat or an airbag with a resi mat laid over the top for the larger tricks. The reason they put resis down is trying to reduce the impact if a trick goes wrong, hopefully allowing the athlete to come away with no injuries. This is vastly different to the traditional X Games setup of a mixture of metal ramp and dirt hits, but it also allows for consistent ramps for riders to produce their biggest tricks. Looking at the freestyle motocross comp, there was a small field of five riders with all Australians except for the USA's Adam Jones. A clinical performance from Josh Sheen netted himself the gold medal with a mixture of big upside-down tricks like a double backflip no-hander or a massive KOD backflip. 
This is also thrown in with his 360s that he regularly pulls in his runs. Adam Jones followed him in second position with some impressive combinations that he's been known to produce over the years. And in third place was Ben Richards. The final event for the night was Freestyle Motocross Best Trick, which was announced in the lead-up that both riders J.O. Archer and Harry Bink were going to try and land for the first time in comp- competition the triple backflip. I'll let that sink in a little. That's right. A triple backflip. Unbelievable in my mind. The triple backflip. The trick was confirmed possible in 2015 by Josh Sheehan, who completed it at Travis Pastrana's place in the USA, landing it on a man-made ramp and a steep down ramp that was set above the takeoff. They've put a whole story about the jump on YouTube. It's quite impressive to watch, which I'll recommend to see how he did it, but it was confirmed in 2015 that it could be done. The thought of triple backflip is just insane, in my opinion. Even one single backflip on a dirt bike is insane, but these riders seem to do them so effortlessly these days with multiple different combinations and now doing these in double while in competition. The complete progression of freestyle motocross is astounding. It was only 20-odd years ago when Kerry Hart attempted his first backflip in competition and then Mike Metzger doing the first back-to-back backflips at X Games. From here, the progression kept on rising with various right-side-up tricks being brought into the backflips. I think it was around 2003 and 2000 or 2004, it was noted in print media and then also in the Nitro Circus DVD series that Travis Pastrana completed the first double backflip, not in competition. Then every year following that, as X Games Best Trick came around, it was dubbed, when is Travis going to do the double backflip? Was it 2004 or was it going to be 2005? 2006 was the year Travis pulled off the feet. Many thought would not be possible. In the tight arena at the Staples Centre, he pulled it off. Many people in the industry always produce, where were you when the big moments happened? Similar to when Tony Hawk landed the first 900 or Matt Hoffman's no-handed 900. This is one I can say I remember where I was when this happened. I was studying for my HSE exams here in Australia. It was a Sunday morning and waiting for the announcement on ESPN that Freestyle Motocross Best Trick was coming up. From my recollection, it was quite remarkable watching it happen live. Not many thought it would happen again, but the progression of the sport kept on going to where it has now become a staple in many freestyle motocross riders' runs to produce the double backflip. And now thinking of doing a triple, it's just crazy to think about it. It's about 100 kilos of bike plus the rider rotating at a speed around three times to a landing can only spot at the end. Hats off to everyone that attempts any form of backflip on a dirt bike. It's quite a feat in my mind. The competition on the night had Adam Jones, Josh Sheen, Clinton Moore, Jaden South, Scott Fitzgerald, Harry Bink and Jay Archer competing. The format was each rider had two jumps, which were taken back to back, with the highest score out of the jumps being their score taken through. Adam Jones was the first up in best trick, with him throwing out a dead body backflip and on his second attempt, a cliffhanger backflip. His best score was was from his first jump with a 82.66. Josh Sheen was up next, 
we pulled out a double backflip no-hander and then repeating the same trick again on his second run. The judges scored him higher on his first run of an 86.66, putting him at the lead after two riders. Coming in next was Scott Fitzgerald, who pulled out a trick I'd never seen attempted before. It was a front flip Superman seat grab Indian. Riding it out not cleanly, but landing it, claiming that in my mind it was the first time it happened. In his second attempt, Scott attempted the front flip Superman seat grab Indian and riding it out. What a remarkable trick with how front flips have evolved in the recent years. At this point, Fitzgerald came out in the lead with the judges scoring him as an 89.33. Next rider on the block was Jaden South with him trying to land a front flip dead body. But unfortunately, he under-rotated the first attempt after not getting the snap at the top of the ramp. He was able to get up and walk away from the crash, lining up for his second attempt after a few running repairs to try and get his bike right, especially around the handlebars. On his second attempt, he didn't get the snap at the top of the ramp as well again, but also his feet got caught up in the handlebars, which were likely bent from the first attempt on his crash. A solid attempt of a big trick, but unfortunately it didn't come off on the night. Next was Clinton Moore, who went off the standard 75-foot competition ramp who completed a body varial on his first run he was able to land it cleanly on the down ramp and then on the second clinton hit the electric doom off the same 75 foot competition ramp the judges netted him a higher score for his first attempt on the body varial at a 86.33 putting him in third place at that point behind scott fitzgerald and josh shan the final two Competitors on the night were Jay Archer and Harry Bink going for the triple backflips. There was a lengthy intermission here while they were setting up the ramp specifically for this trick, assuring that it was set up correctly for both riders to ensure it gave them the best possible chance to land this trick and come away safe. Jay Archer was the first out of Harry Bink and himself to try, and what can you say? It was almost a perfect scenario. Jay Archer had no warm-up jump, just a few speed checks and then heading straight to hitting the ramp and pulling hard at the top to get the rotation started, completing the three rotations and nearly a perfect landing for him. The scenes that followed were incredible. All the other riders and friends surrounding J.O. after the jump and then J.O. running to the top of the landing celebrating. It was almost similar scenes to when Travis Pastrana landed the double backflip at X Games. It's hard to put it into words, but what an amazing achievement to be the first person to pull a triple backflip in competition. Something to be memorable for many years to come for J.O. Judges scored J.O. a 98.33, putting him at the top of the leaderboard. He didn't take the option up of a second run. Next up, it was Harry Bink, and what a tough position he was in. Either way, if J.O. landed or didn't land the triple backflip, the expectation passed on to him would have been immense. You could see in the lead up, he would have had a million thoughts running through his head but before trying to attempt the trick. Harry did two practice jumps prior to his attempt by completing a double backflip. A double backflip as a warm-up jump, it's pretty insane in its own right. Harry then lined up for his first attempt, rolling in at his pace, coming up to the ramp and pulling hard to get the rotation. He completed the three rotations, but on the last one slightly under-rotating, landing front wheel first, just a fraction early, making him swap a little sideways and coming off the bike. 
Harry was able to get up straight after the crash. What a tough moment to get yourself into the headspace to complete the trick after Jay completed it on the first try and going down on yours. After regathering himself and checking the bike over to ensure it was in a good state to try again, Harry lined up, went to the ramp and stomped the triple backflip. As soon as he left the lip of the ramp, he held the throttle wide open to keep the inertia of the triple going. He tucked himself in as tight as possible, only coming out of it when completing the last rotation. Landing almost as perfect as you can get with both wheels down at the same time. It was similar scenes to when Jaya landed with all friends and family surrounding Harry on this occasion. The scores came in from the judges and it gave Harry a clean 99.00 for his second attempt, giving him first place in the event. What an amazing outcome with three new tricks coming out and all being landed, netting them podium places. Finishing on the podium was Harry Bink in first place, Jay O'Archer in second place, and Scott Fitzgerald coming home in third place. Jay O'Archer was awarded the Innovation Award for landing the first triple backflip in competition. What an event and what a great achievement to all the riders competing in both disciplines. And how else do three Aussies celebrate a massive achievement? by doing three shoeys on the podium, or in this case, three booties. So there was two great events down under here in Australia over the weekend, with the conclusion of the World Supercross Championship and the Nitro World Games in Brisbane. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Motor Racing Passion Podcast. See you on the next episode. 